How is everybody? Awesome. Wow. It's really good to see you. So, um, you know, I, I ask that question every week, and, um, you know, oftentimes it's an opportunity day to say, I'm good or I'm fine. And um, as I mentioned a little earlier, I know not everybody in our, our church is fine these days. And so I wanted to start this way uh, today by saying, um, I do hope that you are taking care of yourself. And once in a while, um, we need some encouragement in that line, I think. Um, I know, as I mentioned, a lot of people struggling these days with mental health issues, with addiction issues. Um, if you deal with seasonal affective disorder, it was a tough week or two um, in our community. Cold, snow, dark. I also know that the holidays can be very difficult for many. Um, not only because it is cold, snowy, and dark, but the holidays often uh, tie us to our past and some of our losses and some of our struggles and life-controlling issues. So I decided to make the question today kind of center around this, and it's a pretty simple one. What is something you are doing these days for self-care? Hoping that we can maybe get a little bit of variety of some um, answers that uh, you know reflect the Lighthouse community here. Um, so if you'd like to answer the question, James Flint will run the mics. You get their attention. You stand up. You speak directly in the mic. You give us a brief answer, and here we go. I am learning it's okay to cut out toxic people and to not put myself behind everything else. Thank you, Heather. Very good. Very good. All right. Who else would be willing to share? Hi, church family. I'm Julie. So there for a while, I was um, going to the $5 movie night on Tuesdays with my friends. Um, and I was going every Tuesday to make sure that I did something other than meetings in church. Um, but these days, everybody kind of fell off on that one. So I've just been allowing myself when something fun comes up that I want to go to, of not talking myself out of it by saying that I can't afford it or I can't do this or I can't do that. I just work the extra hours at work to make sure that I can cover it hmm. so I can make sure I can get out and get out of self. Hmm. Very good, Julie. Thank you. Hi, I'm Stephanie. I uh, do a couple things, Al-Anon, and I've been cooking, meal prepping. So that's not only for myself, but my family. Huh. Thank you, Stephanie. What time should we be over? Yeah. Hmm. All right, up here we got um, a hand. Hello, I'm Kathy. Um, for self-care, I would say I am doing a lot of hobbies. I'm crocheting, and I also am baking, and then I take <laughs> Mark's crew gets the rest, so... I don't always keep it all around too much. But baking helps me get through quite a bit, and crocheting does too, a good anxiety thing. Oh, very good. Thank you, Kathy. Hi, I'm Jason, and I am asking myself in the moment, 
how can this be 10% more enjoyable in each moment? And that's hmm. been kind of cool. And I've re-engaged uh, my OA sponsor. Ah, very good. Thank you, Jason. Thank you very much. All right. Um, anybody else? Got time for a couple more? Tom? I'm Tom. I have a friend of mine. We're both in 12-step programs, and he calls me every day so we have a chance to discuss whatever is written there. That way we both have the reading of the day properly uh, thought out. Excellent. Thank you, Tom. Anybody else want to share? Got time for one more. Anybody else? Anybody else? Come on. Somebody thinks they should share. All right, Galen will share. We'll wrap up with Galen. Well, this is something I've been doing for a while now, uh, reading through the Bible, and I have an app that tracks my progress so I can make sure that I get to my Bible reading every day. Huh. Thank you, Galen. Thank you. Um, I love the variety of, uh, of things and examples. Um, so people in recovery um, have taught me that in difficult times I need to step up my self-care. So if these are difficult times for you, if this season tends to be a difficult time for you, uh, we need to step up our self-care. For me, uh, that has often meant, you know, making sure I'm making my recovery meetings and, and step up my recovery program. Uh, but I've also learned that um, we need community um, and that we need each other in many ways. In fact, turn and tell someone, I need your help. That wasn't so difficult, was it? <laughs> Harder when we're really struggling, isn't it? Um, one, of the, one of the phrases that um, I remember, you know, coming up with very early in our recovery days um, that is isolation is our enemy. And uh, literally it was born out of my own lived experience um, because I knew that being alone was not a healthy place for me to be when I was trying to uh, both get sober but also kind of get my life turned around. Um, isolation is my enemy. We are in this together, is what that means. And so we need to not only you know, be reminded to take care of ourselves now and then, uh, but let's also try to help as best we can in healthy ways take care of each other. Tell someone, I'm here for you. All right. So uh, we have been going through the book of Genesis as a church family uh, for the last few months. And um, I've mentioned um, that we're going to take a break in Genesis. I think I mentioned that last Sunday uh, in a couple of weeks. And we're going to do some Christmas holiday stuff for uh, the month of December. And then we're going to come back to Genesis. So what that means is we're going to wrap up uh, the story of Abraham and Sarah next week. And um, we've been going through Genesis uh, so far, trying to learn the narrative. So I'm going to tell you a little bit of the story today. Um, but we've also tried to very specifically look at some passages that might speak to us here in our Lighthouse family in some life application way. And we're going to do that today as well. So I want to remind you where we've come from. Abraham and Sarah 
um, had been called by God. God called Abraham and Sarah, um, Abraham's wife Sarah, to pick up and move to a distant land and to an unknown future. Abraham and Sarah had become the father, or were going to become the father and mother of the Jewish people and nation. Um, And God had promised them land. He had promised them a home. He had promised them protection and guidance. And he had delivered on all of those, by the way. Um, But he also promised them so many descendants that they wouldn't be able to be counted. And the problem was, is that they hadn't had any kids yet. And they were getting up in years. And we, we've talked about a couple of things that are, I just think are important themes when you go through the Old Testament, but also the entire Bible, that I just want to remind you of as we move forward today. Um, we've talked about this, how hard it is to wait on God to fulfill his promises sometimes. It can be really hard uh, to wait on God when we know something good's going to come, but it's, it's slow in coming. Um, and here's, here's the other thing that we've learned. It kind of goes along with that one. Um, God doesn't work on our timeline. Unfortunately, right? God doesn't work on our timeline. Uh, sometimes he works quickly, sometimes slowly. Here's the deal. In my life, at least, it's almost always slowly. And um, it's just the reality that waiting on God is kind of part of this human faith experience. And I want you to remember that as we go through our story today. In chapter 18 of Genesis, the Lord appears to Abraham through a visit of three men. And um, we kind of wonder right from the beginning, are these men or are they angels? A little later, we learn that they are angels. Abraham and Sarah welcome them into their home. Um, They feed them. And these men kind of reiterate the promise. They tell um, Abraham, you will have a son, you and your wife, Sarah. And, uh, and before we even look at the passage, I want to just say that um, I've kind of wondered about this relationship with Abraham and Sarah at times. I mean, how interesting it must have been. I mean, they're approaching 100 years old now. And um, they're still waiting on the promise, and they're just kind of going through daily life. So um, I found a little um, family joke. Here we go. A little boy asks his father, Dad, what does it mean to be a man? The father replied, well, son, being a man means that you are a person in control of the situation. You're the one who makes all the important decisions. Well, his son answers, then I hope to be a great man and grow up just like mom. (laughs) Oh, just want to point out that I'm an equal rights offender, okay? Just want to make sure everybody remembers that. All right. Um, So there's this little section that I think is so interesting about um, Abraham and Sarah and this visit from these three angels. Turn to chapter 18. 
Um, page numbers should be up on the screen. There should be Bibles around you if you'd like to grab a Bible. And um, keep your Bible open because we're going to look at some verses in 18 and 19 today. But um, I, I kind of think this is just a fun little story. So um, Abraham, he's fed these angels and they eat and then they're going to have this conversation. Sarah's in the tent um, doing what I guess women in that day would have done in the tent. And Abraham's having this conversation. And it says in verse 10, Then one of them said, I will return to you about this time next year, and your wife Sarah will have a son. Sarah was listening to this conversation from the tent. Abraham and Sarah were both very old by this time, and Sarah was long past the age of having children. So she laughed silently to herself and said, How could a worn-out woman like me enjoy such pleasure? Um, And then this is the line I really think is hilarious, especially when my master, my husband, is also so old. Like, I don't even want to know what it is they're saying about each other and Abraham and Sarah here, okay? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, can an old woman like me have a baby? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return about this time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she denied it, saying, I didn't laugh. But the Lord said, no, no, you did laugh. Sounds like a parent and a young child, doesn't it? Um, so um, I think that's, that's such a great little story, because here's what it, here's, I mean, we could spend the rest of the time just talking about this, and I'm not going to, but like God sees us, sees us and he sees everything, huh? I mean, you know, yes, you did laugh. I saw it. Wow. Um, God sees everything, like it or not. So the three men leave, and they head to Sodom and Gomorrah. And we've already been introduced to the sin and wickedness and decadence of the communities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, When the men leave Abraham, um, Abraham has a conversation with God. And what we learn is that they are on the way to Sodom and Gomorrah to confirm its wickedness uh, because God has had about enough. And um, I want you to remember, this was a few weeks ago, we talked about how Lot, Abraham's nephew, had kind of moved in next to Sodom and Gomorrah. So Abraham has family that lives there. And so what we have at the, you know, rest of chapter 18 here is the story of Abraham negotiating with God. Have you ever negotiated with God? What a dumb question, huh? Of course you have. You know, Lord, get me out of this and then I will. That's kind of the common one, you know, that most of us have used. Um, I promise that if you, you know, rescue me out of this one, then I will. Uh, and here's what I want you to know. If you um, have negotiated with God, um, and I know you have, uh, then you're in pretty good company. You're in the company of Abraham, the founder of the Israelite nation. So let's read the story. Chapter 18, verse 16 uh, let me go through this story. It's kind of a delightful little story if, you're, um, if it's unfamiliar to you. Uh, then the men got up from their meal. They looked out toward Sodom. 
As they left, Abraham went with them to send them on their way. Should I hide my plans from Abraham, the Lord asked? For Abraham will certainly become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. I have singled him out so that he will direct his sons and their families to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Then I will do for Abraham all that I have promised. So the Lord said to Abraham, I have heard a great outcry from Sodom and Gomorrah because their sin is so flagrant. I'm going down to see if their actions are as wicked as I have heard. If not, I want to know. The other men turned and headed toward Sodom, but the Lord remained with Abraham. Abraham approached him and said, God, will you sweep away both the righteous and the wicked? Suppose you find 50 righteous people living there in the city. Will you still sweep it away and not spare it for their sakes? Surely you wouldn't do such a thing, destroying the righteous along with the wicked. Why would you be treating the righteous and the wicked exactly the same? Surely you wouldn't do that. Should not the judge of all the earth do what is right? Abraham is pretty bold here. God can handle it, you know? God can handle it. The Lord replied, If I find 50 righteous people in Sodom, I will spare their entire city for their sake. Then Abraham spoke again, Since I have begun, let me speak further to my Lord. Even though I am but dust and ashes, suppose there are only 45 righteous people there rather than 50. Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five? Lord replied, I will not destroy it if I find 45 righteous people there. Then Abraham pressed his request further. Suppose there are only 40. The Lord said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 40. Please don't get angry, my Lord, Abraham pleaded. Let me speak. Suppose 30 people, righteous people, are found. And the Lord replied, I will not destroy it if I find 30. Then the Lord, Abraham said, since I have dared to speak to the Lord, let me continue. Suppose there's only 20. Lord replied, then I will not destroy it for the sake of the 20. Finally, Abraham said, Lord, please don't get angry with me. He could maybe find, figure out that God was getting a little perturbed. With me, if I speak one more time, suppose only 10 are found there. The Lord replied, then I will not destroy it for the sake of the 10. When the Lord had finished his conversation with Abraham, he went on his way, and Abraham returned to his tent. And of course, what we learn is that there weren't 10 there. Such an interesting story. Um, first, we learn that God allows negotiations. Who'd have known? God allows negotiations. Um, here's the deal. He kind of knows us better than we know ourselves. And, um, you know, Abraham and Sarah each are kind of acting like little children and God the parent. And I guess we act that way sometimes too. God knows us better than we know ourselves, and I, I don't think anything ever surprises him. So what do you think? This is the interesting thing. Does Abraham help God make up his mind? Or does God already have his mind made up? Like, is God thinking, oh, I just don't know what to do with Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham, can you help me figure this one out? Or does God do that in, you know, in your life? I mean, you know, Mark, you know, if, you know, if like God is trying to figure out what, you know, what should I do with my plan and my will for Mark's life um, right now? Does God think, you know, Mark, I'm just not sure. What do you think I should do? Well, 
So you do that, Kathy? You know, Kathy, I don't know what to do with your life. You know, should I help? Should I not help? You know, what is your opinion? What is your thought? Does, does God negotiate with us too? It's an interesting question. Well, if, you know, if God's mind is already made up, if that's the conclusion you would make, well, then why negotiate? <laughs> um, it's one of those passages that is a little difficult for me to understand. Um, I tend to think it, it, it at least at a minimum indicates some of the fluidity of our relationship with God. Um, that there's like this fluidity, like some back and forth at times in our relationship with God. Here's something that it, it indicates that's even more important. Prayer matters. Prayer makes a difference. Our prayers do matter. There is much about God and how he works in this world and in our lives that I do not understand. But I do see something here that I personally know is true. And here it is. It's going to be up on the screen. God's will and my way forward become clearer as I work things out in prayer. If you take one thing with you today, Actually, take what I'm going to tell you later. But if you take two things with you, this is number two. Um, um, God's will and my way forward become clearer as I work it out in prayer. So important. Perhaps the point here isn't what prayer does to God's mind, but what it does to Abraham's and yours and mine. With me? It's, it's maybe, you know, the point isn't that we can no negotiate with God and, you know, it's not what, you know, how God makes decisions. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is what prayer does in our minds and that it kind of helps us sort things out. Here's what I want you to know. You can bring anything to God in prayer. Work it out with God. The process itself brings guidance from God and allow us to move forward in his will. Will I can tell you that if you learn to work through issues with God, um, you are going to find that God communicates with you, that God orders your thoughts and gives you direction how to move forward. Our problem is that we usually act on our own and then we got, ask God for help after the effect. God, help me clean up my mess. I want you. I need you, God, right? Get me out of this. We've talked before that God's punishment for sin is to allow us to do it and to suffer the natural consequences. So God's not often going to sweep in and kind of save us from ourselves. But we already know that. So, indeed, there is a lot of wickedness in Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, in Sodom and Gomorrah, we see that um, having been surrounded by wickedness and the wrong people has deeply affected Lot and his family. Part of the story of chapter 19 is that the people we surround ourselves with have a great effect on us. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future, right? Um, and, and, 
you know, I know that that is one of the most, you know, important things that many people learn when they first start coming to Lighthouse Church or into a recovery community. Um, the people you surround yourself with have a huge impact on your life. So don't say it doesn't matter. And it's nothing new. It mattered thousands of years ago, and it still matters today. So the three men, the angels, get Lot and his family out of Sodom and Gomorrah, and God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. Again, I know not everybody was here a few weeks ago, but um, I, want, I want you to know that there is much about the Old Testament and God's judgment in the Old Testament that is hard to understand. So I don't, I don't have answers for all of it. But there's almost something figurative as God destroys you know, the wicked Sodom and Gomorrah because I would say this, we do know this, our sin and our bad decisions and our own selfish, self, selfish and self-destructive behaviors tend to destroy our lives, right? So that we know. So, you know... You know, God kind of allows that to happen one way or the other anyway. Our sin, our bad decisions, our selfish and our self-destructive behaviors tend to destroy our lives, even to the point where sometimes for some people it seems like death would be the preferable option out. So God goes in, and because Lot is Abraham's nephew, these angels go in to save him. In fact, there's a little section in chapter 19. We're not going to read much, but I do want you to turn to chapter 19. And I want to read just a couple of verses. Verse 15. So God's about ready to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And it says, at dawn the next morning, verse 15, chapter 19, at dawn the next morning, the angels became insistent. Hurry, they said to Lot. Take your wife and your two daughters who are here. Get out right now or you will be swept away in the destruction of the city. When Lot still hesitated, the angel seized his hand. Have you ever, have you ever been like, like somebody's trying to guide you towards a better life and you're a little hesitant? Yeah. Gil, I hate that about myself. I was going to say you, but I figured I would just. When Lot still hesitated, the angel seized his hand in the hands of his wife and the two daughters and rushed safely outside the city. For the Lord was merciful. When they were safely out of the city, one of the angels ordered, Run for your lives! And don't look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains, or you will be swept away. Run for your lives. I was thinking uh, this, uh, this week about how when um, addiction had a grip on me, um, that was the message that I needed. Run for your life, Dale. <laughs> Run towards recovery. Run for your life. If you are wrapped up in your own selfish or self-destructive behaviors right now, that's the message that you need to hear. Turn your back on it and run for your life. If you are kind of surrounded by the wrong people and it's having a huge impact and something needs to change, run for your life. Run for your life. If your mental health 
and, and your mental illness. If Satan, I would say, is speaking destructive messages into your life, messages of shame and failure, run for your life. Run for your life. But here's the interesting thing. You know, Lot and his, his wife and daughters were told, run to the mountains. But we know something that um, Lot did not. We have something to run to that Lot did not have. We have Jesus to run to. You and I don't just have to run to the mountains. You and I don't just have to run and hide. We have something that we can run to. Run to Jesus Run to Jesus. Run to the cross. We sang the, sang the song earlier, I speak the name of Jesus. The power of Jesus in our life is literally that he can make the demons flee, that he can take our sin away and make us new and whole again. Run to Jesus. Run to the cross. But you know, even before we close though, I mean, I would love to tell you that they, they ran to the mountains and everything was great. Some of you know the story already. It's kind of a depressing chapter in the Bible. Um, because there's more to the story. First of all, um, Lot's wife, um, she looks back. And, um, you know, I... I think it's important for us to kind of look deeper sometimes in these stories um, because um, we're not sure what, what was going on in her mind or in her heart when she did that. But I know that for people in this community of, of faith, um, in this larger recovery community, that as we kind of move forward, it is so easy for us to look back with fondness and want to go back. And um, Lot's wife is turned to a pillar of salt. It destroys her when she goes back. But God um, rescues Lot and his daughters. They're saved by God. But show how much Sodom and Gomorrah have impacted their lives when they have drunken incestuous relationships themselves. One of the things that I realize um, when I'm preparing a message at Lighthouse Church that is radically different than any of the, any of the preparation that I did in the past is um, some of the stuff that we deal with here both in our lives, but also in the, the, the message that we get from God, is life and death stuff. You know, sometimes we learn, you know, that we're going to not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it, but don't look too fondly. And let's not kid ourselves. Sometimes leaving... Um, the Sodom and Gomorrahs of our own life is not as simple as just putting it behind us. What I want you to know 
is that when you run, you can run to Jesus. That you can run to Jesus. And in him is unconditional love and forgiveness. That he can um, put behind you the past that has put you into bondage and he can give you freedom and he can give you hope and that he can help you today and in the coming days with a new life and a new opportunity to live in the freedom that only he offers. Run to Jesus. Run. Somebody say it. Run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. Run to Jesus.